Hello and welcome to the In Squash Podcast. I'm your host, Jerry Gibson. This is episode 222 and it's the second of two squash skills uh, themed series. This is with Gary Nisbet and he's the strength and conditioning guy at squash skills amongst other things, but that's his main uh, focus. And this is, a, this is a Gary's third appearance on the podcast and he typically shows up uh, timely periods throughout the year. And uh, this is one of them uh, the, with the squash season for many of us uh, fast approaching. I know uh, probably around here the leagues will get started around the end of September, early October. And uh, he's got uh, plenty of sage advice uh, for us on this episode. Um, before we get into it, though, we, he talks about uh, his training uh, camps that he put together with Gina Kennedy and uh, how that uh, sort of came about and what went into putting those together and that's really interesting stuff obviously uh, Gina is the the fittest and uh uh, the strongest of, of the women on tour. Uh, I, I don't think there's any debate about that, and perhaps one of the most athletic as well. Uh, so what he uh, and uh, Gina put together for their training camp is quite interesting. I know you'll enjoy hearing about that. And then uh, Gary also takes us through uh, how we can ramp up for our squash seasons, uh, just in terms of uh, you know he gives us some circuit training ideas, uh, some nutrition advice, uh, how we should be preparing right now for the rigors of the upcoming squash season some really good stuff in here now in terms of the nutrition advice that i just mentioned uh i'm one who um i think uh, stupidly doesn't really think too much about what he eats i eat what i want and when i want as i mentioned uh, uh to gary and that might be foolhardy especially uh, at my age so i'm thinking uh, i'd like to learn a little bit more and uh, maybe perhaps uh turn uh, turn over a new leaf but uh gary gives us some tremendous advice on nutrition also sleep patterns uh and he's also a big proponent of of uh, creatine and the benefits of that now i tried uh, when i was taking some, i was doing some strength training several years ago i did try creatine i think i took it in the wrong dosage or i may have been taking a type of creatine that was like extra extra strength or something because i did get uh, stomach cramps really badly uh, for a couple of weeks after uh, I started taking it. Uh, but he tells me uh, that, uh, you know, in small doses and normal doses that it's it's got tremendous benefits. And if you go to uh, Gary's uh, Twitter feed, he uh, posts several research articles on that. And he presents it really well on the podcast today. Episode 222, it's a really good one. It's always great to have the strength and conditioning coach Gary Nisbet from Squash Skills back. I love talking to him about this kind of stuff. Gary Nesbitt, episode 222. Hello? Hello, can you hear me? Yeah, I got you there, Gary. Well, oh, perfect. Hey, good. Yeah, I'm not sure if that was me. It was probably me, because uh, I'd, I'd done something with my uh, with my fancy microphone here, and uh, that, that could have been it in, in my setup, so uh, apologies. Yeah, I went on to the testing, and it was, I could hear my own voice coming through, so I must have been sank on the settings. Yeah, yeah, it must have been yeah, the experienced podcaster that I am. <laughs> got to have that sorted out by now. But uh, yeah, good to hear your voice, Gary. How's everything? Yeah, good. How's things with you? Yeah, good, good. Just got back from uh, from a nice month-long uh, trip to uh, to Canada, to Halifax and Toronto, there for a little bit. So it was uh, great to get out of the heat. <laughs> Are you from Canada originally? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I grew up uh, grew up in Canada. Uh, just. Uh, haven't been back since 96 like as a resident but uh 
Yeah. Yeah, I've always wanted to visit. I've been up to like Detroit and sort of North, North America before, but I've never actually made it across to Canada. Definitely like to go there one day. Yeah, you should. You should bring uh, squash skills over there. I mean, uh, there's a lot of squash uh, going on. Uh, the, where I'm from, um, Halifax is a bit quiet, but uh, just north of Halifax, there's um, the city of Moncton, and they just built, uh, I'm not sure how many court, like a 10-court facility, and it's always busy. And, uh, you know, they, they brought in pro, uh, like a pro from outside of the, like a, a big-name pro to run their their program. And I think he just left, but... Um, but yeah, they. Uh, I mean, there's definitely, uh, you know, room for you guys to look into going over. See, <laughs> spoken before about doing. Um, we done a couple of camps in um, New York, or sort of um, New Haven. We did, um, and we yeah. did uh, Rhode Island around that area. So I think I think Canada would be great, and I think you know I know Jethro is looking to expand the camps next year. So. Yeah, I might try and push him towards the Canada one. I think that'd be great. Yeah, there wouldn't be obviously as much money involved as you get, you know, being down in New York or Connecticut or anything like that. But still, uh, be worth uh, investigating it. That's for sure. I'm not even sure how much he charges on the camps now. I know the European ones are about 350, 400 pounds, which I guess is about five, just over 500 US dollars, maybe slightly more. I'm not sure. I don't really get involved in that side of things. But yeah, I know the. Um, the prices are never too too bad. I think he tries to keep it as low as he can. Yeah, for sure. And uh, just actually just had Jethro on a few days ago. I don't know if you knew that, but uh, yeah, I spoke to him earlier. Actually, mentioned it. <laughs> yeah, it was really good. We had a great chat. Awesome. Well, uh, well, it's great to have you back. I think uh, I, I took a look back in the catalog, and uh, uh, this is your third appearance on the pod, and uh, the last one was episode. Uh, one twenty seven. So that was about a hundred episodes ago. So that 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 oh, wow. was just about right. Every hundred episodes, we we should do this. Yeah, great. Yeah, as I say, it's always good. To, I think maybe today we can chat about you know some ideas for people and fitness advice, and you know I think sometimes giving people a a resource to uh, to kind of learn a little bit more about that side of things is is really useful. Yeah, for sure, especially this time of year. I mean, for yeah. for the average recreational competitive player, uh, there there is a, a squash season, which typically. I guess in Canada, anyways, it's around the end, starts around the end of September, early yeah. October. And uh, it'd be sort of, I'm not sure if that's the same in the UK. Uh, I think it's quite similar around the world, except for in warmer countries. But yeah, pretty much here. We, we, uh, our summer, we have summer squash, but it's not taken that seriously. That, that's finished now. So our winter season starts, yeah, normally sort of end of September, 1st of October. So I've just started running some, uh, group fitness sessions at my club sort of for August to start getting people ready over the next five, six weeks. Perfect. Well, uh, we'll get into that in a minute. I've, I've got a few, uh, few things I'd, I'd love to get, uh, you know, pick your brain on, but uh, I know you've spent uh, a bit of time over the summer or maybe before that uh, on a training program course or putting together some training with uh, Commonwealth gold uh, medalist, uh, Gene Kennedy. And mm -hmm. uh, before we get to that, though, I'd just like to get your thoughts on uh, how impressive she is in terms of her own strength and conditioning. And, uh, you know, just, yeah, just get some thoughts on, on her, uh, on her, on that part of her game and how impressive that is. I think Gina's an, an amazing athlete. I think if you look at her um, compared to most of the other women in the world's top 10, I think barring someone like maybe Goha, Hamami, she, she is a, a step above them on a purely uh, athletic sort of judgment if you look at the way she moves and her speed and her endurance her power 
Um, I mean, yeah, she, she's an absolutely fantastic athlete and, and all round as well. I don't think there's sort of one area of athleticism necessarily that you would pick out. She's fast, she's strong, she's mobile, she's got the, the complete package. Um, and yeah, it's fantastic that, that she's playing squash. I think sometimes the problem we have with, with youngsters that come through that are very, very good athletes, that they get sucked into other sports that maybe are going to offer them more money, more fame. You know, if you're a good athlete, as a junior, certainly in this country, in, in the UK, you might get dragged into tennis or you might get, you know, with, with the boys, they want to play football or rugby. So someone like Gina that, that I think could have been an, a, a, an elite athlete in, in a number of different sports. I know when she was younger, she was a, a national level middle distance runner. But I think we're very fortunate that she's chosen squash as her pathway um, and we've got such an amazing athlete to watch. Yeah, I bet you she would have been a good, a good hockey player as well, field hockey. Yeah, I, th- I think she's, you know, we, we joke about for some players, but I think you could pluck her out of squash, teach her the rules to another sport and she'd be world-class within two years. I mean, she's a, absolutely, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah she, she's got the complete physical package. Yeah, and she's sort of, a, a, I think, I think it was about two years ago, she started to hit everybody's radar when she rattled off like seven, eight, nine tournaments in a row in those Challenger mm-hmm. Series events. And then uh, before we knew it, she's uh, playing in the semifinal of the World open or some of these big bigger events just wondering uh in your estimation uh what do you think in terms of her strength endurance or you know with not uh, looking at the technical side what do you think she may have worked on the most over the past few years to have taken her uh to uh that next that next level i think it's 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 not necessarily the physical side i think it's more the the technical and the tactical she's worked with her coach ben ford for a very long time now since she was a, a young junior and, I, and I've known her, you know, from, from those early days, having worked with, with Ben myself. Um, and I think she's obviously still working on her physicality and she's going to continue to get stronger and improve. But I think the difference, if you watch her now, the, the quality of her squash, when she had that initial run, when nobody really knew who she, who she was, she was overwhelming people physically. And then when she got sort of top 20, people started to realise who, you know, what they were dealing with and, and people started to adjust the game. And I think she had a little bit of a stall for a couple of months, but then she's obviously gone away and worked very hard on her squash, on her shot selection, on her tactical awareness. And she's now had that kind of second boost where she's pushing into that top 10. So I think the physicality has always been there and that's something that will continue to be her strength. I think a lot of credit needs to go to the quality of her squash that has allowed her to, to push on to that next level now. Absolutely. And uh, just to, to speak of Ben, uh, you know, you, we hear a lot about, uh, you know, the Rodney Martins and the and the Rob Owens, uh, uh, the, guy, the the great coaches in, from Egypt, uh, with the whale El Hindis, uh, Mike Ways and the like. But Ben, Ben's obviously the name that uh, the UK uh, contingent are quite familiar with. But uh, who where, where what is his pedigree? I know he played uh, on the pro ter- tour for a little bit, but uh, um Tell us a bit about Ben and his background, if you know much about it. Yeah, um, Ben was was a, a full-time pro. I think he got to about 70 or 80 in the world. And he was always very, very good technically. He was never somebody that, that um, the physicality wasn't necessarily his strongest point. He was always a shot player, very, very good tactically, very good technically. And I think that that's what he supplies as a coach. Um, and I'm a big believer that, that there are lots of great coaches out there. And it's about finding a coach that, that vibes with what you need and, and who you are. And I think the connection that Gina and, and Ben have uh, has, has, has shown that they are the, the, you know, they're the right pairing. They, they, they work very well. They bounce off each other very well. 
as I say, Ben is very much about, you know, putting the ball into good areas, thinking about your shots. And maybe Gina, if she was working with another coach that didn't highlight that as uh, enough, she could just become another, uh, another runner that just runs and gets the ball back and, you know, has a successful career but doesn't quite push on and, and fulfil her potential. But the work she's doing with Ben, you can see that she's addressing that side of things and, and, the, and the squash quality has gone up massively. And yeah, I mean, even if you watch Ben play now, he's still a very, very good, very thoughtful player. And I think as a coach, you know, he's very quiet. He's, he's a sort of laid back kind of coach. And, and that obviously works great for Gina, having somebody there just with those little bits of advice, how to, to control a rally that much better. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out because he's taken her, uh, you know, I guess she's she's top 10 in the world now. Uh, yeah. Obviously, she's going to be, you know, challenging for the, the top spot in the world uh, very soon. It's going to be interesting to see how her game uh, develops over the next year or so because uh, to compete with those the girls up there, obviously, she's got the physical stuff. She's probably ahead of them. But uh, the technical side, that's where she's um, she needs to maybe uh, – change up a little bit uh, and Ben Ben's obviously put, putting thought to that. Yeah, I think the next step for Gina, I'm, I'm not sure she's got a win over any of the sort of top three Egyptians in Hamami, um, Gohar or, or El Shabini. Um, but, you know, I've, I've got every every confidence someone like Ben will be able to guide her through that. That's the sort of coach you need, someone that is going to be there with you talking about the game that knows you very well, that knows professional squash very well. So I think Gina and Ben working together, I think um, it'll be exciting to watch for the rest of us this season. It's going to be a lot of work for them, but for the rest of us to see Gina's improvement and see if she can push that top five. Um, yeah, I think we're all looking forward to watching that this season. Yeah, the top five in the women's game is really, uh, I mean, the women's game was actually extremely it was more exciting than the men's almost to a certain degree last season at the end of it. Uh, so many of those matches were, were nail biting and then uh, so much drama that, that, that uh, Gohar uh, Hamami match. Uh, the yeah. I, I mean, I've never seen any, not even on the men's side, like such a sort of will to win from both players mm -hmm. and, and the sort of a, like, like the rivalry that exists between the two of them. And I don't know where sort of what it stems from, but there's definitely something there. <laughs> I, th I think, yeah, I think the women's game over the past couple of years has, has become tremendous to watch. And as you say, sometimes it's more exciting than the male game. It's maybe a little bit more open. There's other players that can kind of come in and, and nick a win. And, and then you've got Gina now coming up. You've got El Tayeb that's now back as well. So there's probably six or seven players there that will go into a, a major tournament thinking they've got a pretty good chance of winning it. So it's going to be a really, uh, really interesting season on, on the women's side. Yeah, definitely. Now, now I mentioned earlier the the pro you put together a program uh, with Gina, I guess for some uh, for some people who wanted who would have signed up for it. So that that would have been uh, interesting. I would have loved to have been there for that. What did what was the program uh, all about, and what did you drum up with her? So what we sort of highlighted as perhaps Gina's trademark is her kind of speed, her footwork speed, but also speed endurance, the ability to, to keep working at that speed over a prolonged period. You know, you look at Usain Bolt, obviously very, very fast, but he wouldn't be able to keep repeating those fast sprints over and over again. Whereas someone like Gina, you watch her in the first rally of a game and you watch her in the last rally of a game and she's still moving at that speed. So that is very much our focus, looking at how can we improve speed, but how can we also improve our ability to sustain speed and that's saying that, that I think Gina, you know, is, is probably the best in, in the world, certainly in the women's game. Um, I look at someone on the, on the men's side, like Miguel Rodriguez. I see very similar, very, very fast, very good at keeping moving fast throughout a game, very quick feet. So most of the stuff that, that Gina and I 
put together, you know, it's taking elements of her workouts um, and then sort of curating them so they can be used by amateur players that are looking to emulate that. I was fortunate enough to, to work with Gina when she was younger, when she was coming through as a junior. Um, yeah, I mean, she was, she was always head and shoulders. I remember we used to work like a kind of groups that we used to work with and Gina would be in with the juniors um, and then we'd have like the, the sort of senior, the professional male groups as well. And physically, we had to put Gina in that group because she was just so much fitter and stronger than, than the other juniors. We had to work her with the higher ones because she wasn't getting pushed enough. So, you know, she, she knows how to train. She knows how to do all these, these things. She's always had that in her. So it's, it's been really interesting trying to get some of those ideas from her um, and then pushing them out to the squash skills audience. Uh, but we actually had a conversation the other day. She sent me this workout over to, to add to the group and it was absolutely brutal. So I was saying, if we, if we put that out to some of our members, we're going we're gonna to lose a lot of memberships. Well, well, sort of what is, what is, I mean, without getting, you know, divulging too much of it, uh, the, the, I guess it's available on squash skills, but like sort of what is the, the gist of uh, being able to do, to do that, to, main, to be able to have that speed uh, from start to finish? So the sort of the, the two workouts, so with, with the squash skills app that we're doing with these training clubs, um, there's normally two primary workouts that are done each week and then like a bonus additional workout for those that have that little bit more time. So the two workouts that, that Gina and I put together, one is very much based on pure speed. So it's, you know, maybe a lot of footwork drills, maybe some ladder work, maybe some short sprints. So you're working very, very high intensity, maximum pace, for no more than about 15, 20 seconds, only a very short amount of time. And then you get a longer recovery. So each rep that you do, you're, you're better recovered. So you're able to put more force and, and more speed into it. So, so one workout is very much about that, about you know, just, just a, a fairly small amount of very, very high quality efforts at maximum speed. Hmm. Then the other session is when we work more on the speed endurance. So some of the drills are similar, but they're going to be stretched out slightly longer and the rest period is going to be reduced. So, you know, ghosting is a good example. They're short, sharp, high intensity ghosting repeated with, with smaller gaps. But you kind of need to do both. If, if you do one without the other, you know, you end up either very fast, but without the ability to sustain it. Or you can be, you know, quite uh, quite high level of endurance, but not being able to move very fast within that. And it's, it's kind of getting that blend of the two elements to, to allow people to, to get the best of both worlds, speed and, you know, speed endurance. Would you do that? Uh, would, would you advise doing those on separate uh, training days or on the same day, or does it uh, matter? It's better to, to do them separate because you are kind of trying to stimulate different mechanisms in the body. We're, we're trying to sort of push that fast twitch, that real kind of sharp, explosive type speed on the pure speed day. Um, and then, yeah, the speed endurance day is obviously a slightly more fatiguing one. So we, we, we kind of want to separate them out to, to get the best of both worlds. And, you know, working with professional athletes, it will be slightly different. You'd probably structure the programs a little bit different to really maximize each of those building blocks. But certainly within a, you know, working with amateur players that are trying to just, just get a little bit of conditioning behind them ready for this new season coming, just kind of splitting those out and, and doing a variety of different sessions a week. Um, just sort of mixing up on a week by week basis is is normally a better approach to start with. Yeah, it's a good idea. I, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, I find it better personally, anyways, just to to mix those uh, types of uh, training exercises up a bit throughout the week. But um, yeah, we were talking earlier. Uh, you know, the squash season uh, is about to start. I would say late September for most uh, most of the average uh, squash player, uh, competitive players. So, what uh, what do you have? Uh, I guess 
and what would you have in mind in terms of uh, kicking off the season uh, if it were to start in late September? What would you recommend as a point of uh, departure, I guess, for most people um, who would likely give in, you know, t- taking the summer to rest their squash uh, body? <laughs> so what, what, what in terms of what, what I would recommend for people that are looking to sort of train ready for, for the new season starting? Yeah, yeah. I think I was having this conversation with somebody earlier. I think we talk, you know, a lot of people now have got some kind of awareness of, of what we call periodization, where we work on different elements and we sort of work in, in cycles and, and all that's great. But I think for a lot of amateur players, that's a very difficult and, and fairly complex thing to fully understand. Yeah. So the way to kind of simplify it for, for, for my kind of thoughts on it is, is to just think about at the moment preparing your body. So getting a little bit fitter by doing your endurance work um, so, you know, so don't go straight into the first match of the season, having not done some practice matches, maybe some ghosting, getting in the gym. It doesn't have to be anything particularly complex, you know, just, just get that base level of fitness up a little bit of, you know, general endurance work, trying to keep it focused on your squash, maybe some intervals on the bike and swimming and, you know, nothing too high impact. But for me, the absolute biggest, you know, number one thing, and as I say, I was, I was chatting to someone earlier about this, one of my clients, is getting strong. I think strength training is the most underutilized training method for, for amateur squash players. Most injuries are caused by weakness, you know, by, by muscles not being strong enough or joints not being strong enough to withstand the forces that are put through them. I think people often blame tightness. Oh, you know, I'm going to get injured because I'm too tight. You know, tightness is often a byproduct of weakness. So getting stronger, you know, the, the best bit of advice I'd, I'd give to anybody gearing up to, to play, you know, a, a hard, high-level squash season, you know, especially as we get older and we get over 40, over 45, 50, being strong just becomes the, 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 the key thing. That, that's the best route to protect yeah. your body. You know, we can talk about being fast and, and mobile, all these things we're talking about with Gina and, and those things are great. But if you're constantly injured, if you're not on court, it doesn't matter how good you are as an athlete, if you're constantly breaking down. So strength training, get in the gym, get a good, you know, squash specific stuff is always great. But even just basic training, getting with a good personal trainer, join your local gym, learn how to squat, how to hinge, deadlift, push, pull, just basic movements that strengthen the body up. And, and that to me is the foundation of, of everything. Oh, definitely. Um, like uh, while I was back in Halifax, I, I haven't touched a racket or hadn't touched a racket for like three, four weeks. So I, I play, you know, I play usually two, three times a week and uh, yeah. I've been training pretty hard and, uh, you know, running a bit and, you know, doing a bit of strength training. And I went in and I played a, a pretty good player from Halifax uh, we did we did some some drills and then we played a few games and uh, I felt even though it was a little bit winded uh, at, at times I felt great out there I think it was simply because I've been doing the gym work been running been doing the strength training it wasn't like uh, it was like I hadn't missed a beat and then also uh, just the fact that I'd taken a bit of time away from the game I, I felt really I really enjoyed it. You do need rest. I mean, all, all pros will take at least a couple of weeks break. Um, in the off season and again I think a lot of amateur players don't do that they play all year round and there's that constant strain on the body we mm. do need a period sometimes just, just away from the court and yeah still training still going in the gym keeping yourself fit and strong um, but squash is, is a brutal sport you do need a bit of a break from it sometimes but again going back to sort of the, the, the advice to, to avoid injury and, and, and to keep you on court um, it, it's just being that little bit more thorough with, with your training program and, and trying to make sure that, that you're doing those additional things 
um, that, that are going to keep you on the court throughout the season. Yeah. So just uh, just in terms of strength training, uh, give give us like two or three uh, sort of basic exercises or basic uh, routines that you would recommend uh, uh, anyone to do just in the lead up to the season. You, you mentioned squats. Um, maybe would you do some weight training or anything like that? Maybe just some basic like push-ups and stretching, things like that. I think with, with strength, it's trying to think about movements rather than muscles. So instead of people think about when they go in the gym, right, I'm going to train this muscle and then I'm going to train this muscle. And this actually, you want to think about what, what are the primary movement patterns? And then we, we take our exercises from there. So squatting is a primary movement pattern. So the ability to get down into a squat and push out. Um, hinging. So when you're sort of leaning forward from the hips, you're, you're sort of hinging from the middle. So something like a deadlift would be a good example of that. Um, some kind of rotational movements, so thinking about with squash when you're lunging and turning. So you can do maybe some medicine ball work with that. Mm. Uh, I think it's important to balance the upper body as well. So some kind of upper body pushing movement, so a press up or a bench press, and then some kind of upper body pulling movement, some kind of a row action. Um, that obviously helps uh, strengthen the shoulders as well, which is another sort of key area for squash players. Pull ups. So, yeah, I think, say again. <laughs> pull ups. Pull ups. Pull up, yeah. If you're strong enough, yeah. I mean, body weight stuff is great if, if you can do do those kind of exercises. But as I say, I think it's just thinking about the primary movement patterns in the body. What what are they? And and that's what I was saying before. I think with any good gym, we'll have somebody in there that can guide you through that. They don't have to be a squash specialist. I think sometimes amateur players, when they do go into strength work, they try and make it far too squash specific, which which is important. We want to be able to lunge and turn and rotate. But fundamentally, we want to strengthen the body up as a system, as a unit. And the best way to do that is with big compound movements um, that are normally the kind of basic exercises that you'll be able to learn in the gym anyway. Perfect. Yeah, I think that's a good uh, departure point for everybody. We've got a couple of, well, I guess about a month and a half before uh, competitive season starts. So that's a, that's a good jumping off point for sure. Get to the gym and yeah. uh, work on the strength stuff and then maybe build a bit, little bit of cardio. But uh, that'll come with the squash, won't it? I think, yeah, like I say, you, you want to get a little bit of endurance work in you before a season starts. And I'm a big fan of using interval work, so bike sprints, you know, minute on, minute off is a nice basic one. I've been using yeah. swimming with a lot of players lately. I think swimming is good because it takes the impact away from the joints. It's quite good for learning to control your breathing. So, you know, getting that that kind of in, endurance work in um, as, as part of your preparation as well. But I think once you get into the season, I think endurance, although it's the one we... we, we um, match up with squash we always think about as, as, as the main kind of physical element for, for squash it's actually the one that probably needs the least training in a season because if you're playing high quality games you're going to be getting an endurance training effect from that you're getting out of breath your cardiovascular system is working your muscles are working so endurance you can actually get just from playing ideally if you've got lots of additional time in a season then great do your extra fitness work and certainly now when we're building into the season I think once the season gets going, you're not going to develop speed or strength or power just by playing games of squash when you can actually develop endurance just by playing games of squash. So again, I think a lot of players at an amateur level would, would be better off distributing their training time into other areas. Um, and yeah, just, just using hard games as a good way to build your endurance and, and not have to take too much additional time. Yeah, there's nothing uh, tougher than some of these condition games that you can play. I mean, you, you can definitely, quite a few lung busters uh, out there. 
yeah, and and what what those those forces do, we're, you know, we're all competitive people. We mm. we tend to push harder. If I give someone a bike sprint session, they get a little bit tired towards the end and starts to slow off a little bit. There's not always the motivation to push through. If you're playing a game and it's not an all and you want to win that game, you're going to throw yourself into that last rally. So yeah. I think, yeah, I, I think getting on court and, and doing drills and routines and games is a great way to, to develop your squash-specific fitness and, and not have to take up really any other time. It's maybe thinking about, you know, if you're someone that plays three times a week, having one of those days, instead of just playing a game, do some drills, do some routines, do some conditioning games. And that way you're hitting balls, but you're getting a conditioning element in there as well. Yeah, absolute gold there, Gary. That's uh, that's really good stuff. Uh, now, one thing I always uh, look forward to on on squash skills is uh, are your monthly uh, circuits. I used used to look them up religiously. Uh, you've had a couple recently. I think July uh, came out. Obviously, July's past us, and August. Perhaps you've got something in store uh, for September as well. But uh, take us through, uh, if you don't mind, um, just basically what you put together for the August uh, circuit and then uh, maybe what you have in mind for September, if you can uh, reveal that uh, today. <laughs> but put me on the spot here. I've got to remember what August what circuit was. Circuit August. August. Just August. <laughs> August. August was, it was a um, skip. Sprint lunge circuit, I believe, okay. wasn't it? I love sk skipping. It's my go-to. Uh, usually with all my circuits, I, with every other circuit, I, I finish with, it's about three minutes of high-intense skipping. And, oh, man, it's, it, it's great. It was great because, yeah, it's light on the feet. It helps with that speed and that power as well. So, yeah, I, th I think the August circuit was based around that. It was sets of skipping, then sets of sprints, and then sets of lunges. So you're kind of building that, that repeat effort endurance um, so you're working the muscles and again, you're kind of pushing that cardiovascular system. But most of the circuits that we put up on squash skills, the circuit of the month, we try and change the, the theme over the course of the season. So each month we'll have a, a slightly different focus. But the last few months have, have been more of that kind of repeat sprint effort, just because this is where we are in the season now where people are getting ready to, to go back into squash. So it's getting those kind of um, building block workouts in, which we spoke about strength work, but the, the circuit work on court is a great way to, to kind of hit different exercises and different elements all within the same, the same workout. And that's something we've revamped now, now that squash skills is moving to this new app base the circuit of the month are going to be, there's going to be a little bit of filming that goes with it where I'm going to kind of introduce it to the camera, maybe get a, a pro player to do a demonstration. And so we're certainly looking to grow that and, and, and build that circuit of the month into something that's even more useful. Because I think sometimes people, you go on, you know, anything you're trying to learn and there's so much information out there, it's difficult to know where to start. So I think the circuit of the month that we put out on squash skills for anybody, whatever level you're at, that's the great thing about circuits. You can just do the exercises, work at your own pace and hopefully learn something new that you can you know, bring into your training program. Yeah, what I like about it too, I mean, I, I'm a bit older and I do have a few, uh, uh, I wouldn't say they're injuries, but a few lingering niggles here, hips and you know, I can't lunge like you guys can and, and things like that. But I usually just tweak a few things here and there, trying to keep to the same uh, to, to the same circuit, but with a few tweaks here and there. Yeah, and that, that's one of the things that this new platform that Squash Skills has, has built on is, is going to be really useful, um, that we're going to kind of individualize it a little bit more. So have circuits that are designed more for masters players, having stuff that, that might be designed more for juniors or, or for elite level players, or whatever the, the, the sort of um, population is, giving people slightly more individualized sessions that, that they can use 
as I say, circuits are great because you can, as, as you've said there, manipulate them yourself, mm. but actually giving people slightly more specifically focused training depending on their age uh, and experience. I'm just wondering, because uh, uh, like I mentioned earlier, uh, I, I find skipping to be really useful, really helpful. I, I'm trying to maintain some uh, f- some level of agility. Um, so uh, I think skipping might help uh, help me keep it going that way. But uh, what types of um, skipping exercises are you uh, uh, are you doing for on on these uh, circuits? So I think I think we don't want to limit the 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 people's ability to do it by overcomplicating the skipping routines. I mean, I, I like to skip, but my skipping is very, very rudimentary. It's just jumping and you try to increase the speed or you might do a double yeah. spin. Interestingly enough, we, we're actually getting a squash. Not Sugar Ray Leonard out there, uh, Gary? I look nothing like Sugar Ray Leonard when I skip. Okay. No, I look <laughs> nothing like that. Um, so I think it's, uh, we've actually got a, a playlist we're talking about getting onto the, the squash skills site fairly soon with a, a comprehensive guide to skipping that there's a guy that I work with at one of my gyms that's got a really good he does a lot of skipping demonstrations and exhibitions so I cool. think that'd be a great thing for people that When's are that coming up uh, that hopefully be um, before the end of the year with the once new apps launch we're going to start looking at different play- playlists but hopefully in autumn we'll, we'll get that one out um so that'll hopefully give people a few more ideas but I think we're skipping we don't want to have a the complexity to be a barrier to it you know as long as you can jump over the rope then that's a start point that that's enough yeah. and then for those people, perhaps like yourself, they're a little bit more advanced, then we'll, we're going to give a few more ideas that will uh, hopefully take you guys on to the next level. Well, would you say uh, speed or a sort of double, you know, being able to to move your feet quickly, like do a double jump or uh, uh, long, uh, uh, duration? What would you, I guess, all of, all of that? I think just just a basic bounce. If, you, if you're skipping at a normal speed, just that rhythmic, rhythmic bounce, you're working through yeah. the calves, through the ankles, through the Achilles, which are quite important areas that we need to propel ourselves around the squash court. So the basic skipping is fine. And then just speeding it up, then just working a little bit faster, maybe working on one leg to sort of make sure we're, we're, we're keeping the balance even on both sides. But then some people that have got this ability to do these more elaborate routines, that's when I think you, you get a lot more of kind of a... a a speed benefit from you get better at moving the feet fast so it's yeah if, if, if you can do those things then then great but i think for everyone else just just learning to skip with a rhythm i think one of one of the we had a, a skipping session on on the training club that we're doing with gina right now there was a bonus session and that was 30 seconds on 15 off repeated 12 times so 30 seconds okay. as fast as fast skipping as you can imagine and then a 15, 15 second off. rest and then so that gives you, okay and that, that's, that's almost a good, like, that's a good one. I like that. Yeah. It's almost like playing a game, isn't it? You think about a rally might be 30 seconds, 15 second recovery. Um, so you can do that as 12 sets, keep a couple of minutes rest and then go back into that again. So you're getting the benefit of the skipping, but the parameters, the, the work and the rest are actually fairly similar to what you would get in a game of squash. So it makes it that little bit more specific. Mm, you could do that sort of like a, like a five, five, uh, five sets of that or something. Yeah, exactly that. I mean, you've got to be careful with skipping for people that haven't done much where they don't go in too much too soon and overload the body because there was quite a lot of force. But for those that are more advanced skippers, then yeah, you you could put that out. I find sometimes if I overdo it, my ankles get a little, I can feel it in my ankles sometimes. So I have to tone it down a bit. 
yeah, I mean, there's a lot of force that goes through the body every time you're, you're landing, there's force going through, that, which is good in a way because that's going to, you know, kind of push that physiological adaptation, but we don't want to be overdoing it. It's a matter of finding that level of, of stimulation. But yeah, if, if you're a, an experienced skipper and, and your body's conditioned for that, 30, 15, 12, set, uh, 12 reps of that, five sets, it's almost like playing a game of squash, isn't it? You're simulating yeah. a game of squash with your skipping. And that's, uh, again, anything you can make specific to the sport is going to be beneficial. Yeah, perfect, perfect. Um, now, you tweeted recently, uh, Gary, that there are three simple things that we can do to enhance our physical performance. The article that I wrote there was, yeah, just about three kind of basic things that you can add in that, that aren't even going to necessarily take up additional time. It's just just three basic things that, that you can do to perform, not, not just in squash, but, but in any kind of physical pursuit. Mm. Um, so the first one I had on there was sleep. So there's been a lot of now you you talk a lot. You mentioned sleep a lot, and that, that I mean for me personally, uh, sometimes I guess when you have a real job or you know you're out there, you've got stress in your life and, and you know kids and family and money problems. Uh, sometimes it's tough to get sleep. <laughs> it's hard, and, and definitely yeah. yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't profess to being able to give advice for that because yeah people have anxieties and, and certainly in the UK at the moment the cost of living there's a lot of stuff going on in the world that, that does impact people's ability to relax and sleep so that that that's you know obviously a, a factor but just talking more generally you know there's been a lot of research going in in recent years in elite sport to the to the the value of sleeping and how even just losing an hour can massively impact your physical performance Often you, you can see where where things are going by looking at elite athletes. Certainly in England with the the football, the Premier League, what what are the elite clubs doing? And certainly you look at a lot of the the, the things that are going in there. Manchester United, for instance, recently there's a whole area in their training ground um, of sleep pods of, of beds that they can go in and sleep before you know they train and have an afternoon. They can go and have a quick nap first, and and it's all geared toward allowing them to to get that recovery with good quality sleep. Uh, there's there's some good books out there. I'll, I'll, I'll tweak some other things. I've I've got a, a sleep thing I was putting together recently. Um, there are some really good books going out there. But the, the basic advice for most people, it's somewhere between seven and nine hours is the sweet yeah. spot when you're getting that amount of sleep. You want the sleep to be unbroken. So there's a lot of research going into kind of winding down in the evenings. You know, if you're sitting there watching telly, you've got your phone in front of you, there's all this kind of blue light and stimulation. And then you immediately go and lie down and try and sleep. Your body hasn't been prepared for that. So just winding yourself down in the evening, slowing things down, getting a good sleep routine. We talk about performance routines and training routines and match routines. Having a sleep routine is, is equally as important. Mm. Yeah, for sure. And uh, yeah, I find uh, just, you know, personally, if I don't get seven hours sleep, I'm, I'm a mess the next day. Yeah, yeah, and, and I think you, your body will, will get into a pattern. Your body will almost tell you how much sleep you need. If you have a few days where you, I know people are working, but if you get a, on a weekend, you know, go to sleep, wake up, see what kind of works best for your body. Your, your body will almost tell you itself. Um, everyone's going to be slightly different. And you, you do get outliers. You know, there are some people that mm. in, in history have, have, have been able to do four hours sleep a night. I think it was the, the ex-British Prime Minister, Margaret Thatcher. There was, there was a, a rumour that she only ever slept for four hours a night and, and she, you know, functioned perfectly well on that. But it's those people are anomalies. For most of us, it's between seven and nine hours. Yeah, yeah. Um, also something else, um, you, you um, 
you do talk quite a bit, or you do mention quite a bit about uh, about nutrition. Now, personally, and I'm not sure if I speak for a lot of people, but I might. Uh, it's not something that I, you know, I think the average person pays a great deal of attention to. And I think personally, I take I take pride in the fact that I generally eat whatever I want, whenever. Uh, and I reckon <laughs> I reckon I'm fitter and stronger than than a lot of guys my age. But uh, without getting uh, too esoteric, why should people uh, like me who uh, take their squash seriously, uh, why should we be thinking otherwise? So it's, it's, it's difficult because there are going to be different goals for, for, for different people. What, what are you trying to train toward? What, what is your diet geared toward? And the two main ones for most people are going to be, people want to look good. They want to be in good shape. Uh, they want to lose body fat. They want to be muscular. Certainly for, for men, they're going to be looking to develop their physique. But equally, if you're training for performance, you know, as an athlete or as someone that's a, you know, an amateur athlete, and then the focus is on performance, it's different goals. You know, if, if there's a lot of things at the moment about kind of intermittent fasting and calorie restriction and, um, and uh, things like um, keto diets, where you get more protein and, and all these different things, but you need to first establish what, what is your goal? What are you eating toward? You know, what, what are you training for? What, what are you trying to achieve? And for most athletes, it's more about just getting enough calories. It's getting enough carbohydrate because that's going to be your fuel source. You need your carbohydrate. You need enough protein because that's going to be the building blocks. And I think protein is definitely where a lot of people don't get enough good quality, high, uh, high protein foods in their diet. You need fats for different kind of um, nutrients and, and things in the body in terms of um, sort of nutrient transportation and storage vitamins and minerals so if, if you're an athlete you need quite a balanced varied diet and, and i don't think you should be obsessing too much about calorie intake because you want to be eating enough calories that are going to power you through your sessions mm. but on the flip side if you're someone that's trying to train to look good for a, a beach holiday or a wedding or whatever you know if you're trying to get into good shape that that's quite different and that that's when people will use strategies of calorie restriction and these other diets and that yeah. can be effective for manufactured that. yeah but it's, it's being aware that that you know, if, if they're two very different goals, and, and I often use the example you look at most squash players, not many of them are absolutely ripped, they're not kind of bodybuilding looking because most squash players eat a lot of food, they have to eat a lot of food, there's a lot of calories that they, that they eat. So, if you look at the average squash player, yeah, they're all in great shape, but they're not looking like they're going to step on stage at a bodybuilding competition. So, it no. depends on, on what you're. Yeah, what, what are you trying to get? And, and my advice for most people is, is to get enough calories in. Think about your protein intake. I think that's one that does tend to be a, a slippage point for a lot of people. Get good quality protein in your diet. Um, but yeah, if, if your goal is to lose a bit of weight, that isn't going to mesh very well with performance. So if you're trying to restrict your calories because you want to look better you know, for your beach holiday, that's going to have an impact on your performance because you're not going to have as much energy. Yeah, so I guess it bodes well for someone like me. I mean, I three, four slices of pizza tonight, but I did run 7K earlier in the day. Uh, had a good training session. Uh, I enjoy eating, but I also, uh, you know, I, I don't think I overdo it. I'm, I'm relatively fit. Uh, I guess for the average uh, squash player who wants to remain competitive, just uh, like you said, make sure you eat and make sure you uh, get to the gym and, you know, keep strong and healthy. Yeah, I, I don't like to demonize any foods. Food shouldn't be a, a chore. You should have nice foods. It should be a treat. Um, I think it's it's making sure, though, that they don't become 
you, you, you mean you can't out train a bad diet is one of the, the sort of cliches people say. <laughs> no. you, you don't want to be eating pizza every day of the week. That's right? it. But but yeah. equally, you know, it should, it should be a reward if if, if you if you train hard and, and mm. then you look after yourself having treat is yeah, then that that's perfectly fine. But it's just making sure that, that through the rest of the week you're getting it's going back to kind of the, the whole food thing. It's about getting raw ingredients, getting your vegetables, getting your fruits, getting your lean meats, eating good quality food. Most people know, you know there are some foods that, that are obviously bad, you know, crisps and, and, and burgers and chips. Mm. And there are some foods that are obviously good, vegetables and, and, and whole grains and, and, and lean meat sources, lean protein sources. Um, as I say, for most people, it's, it's just about common sense, getting, getting enough calories that you need for whatever your targets are um, and just making good decisions, but then not being too hard on yourself when you do slip a little bit. Alcohol is the other one. I think a lot of people overindulge with that. And yeah, again, yeah. as part of a healthy, balanced diet, drinks on the weekends, you know, as long as you're not having five pints every, every night of the week there's nothing you know any anybody i work with, i don't do a huge amount of direct nutrition consultation with players for those that, that i do talk about it with we try not to eliminate anything completely you know there's always things that you're going to have as a treat every now and then that that should be something you reward yourself with mm. oh definitely i couldn't agree more so long, i mean like you said a lot of it's just common sense right yeah and then going back to what you said about the the article with with the, the three things the, the, the second thing on that time in the nutrition is, is fluid intake and i think you know it's the same yeah. thing as yeah. drinking lots of of water getting good fluids into your system um i think it's i think sometimes um if people are trying to eat more healthily drinking more water can help because it kind of state the age of appetite to some extent that we tend to pick up foods and you know if you're drinking more fluid if, if you're you can even put a little bit of fruit juice in with your water. You don't want to be drinking sort of lots of very sugary drinks, but drinking more water, putting a little bit of flavoring in there, that can be a great way to going back with the article in terms of things that can kind of improve your everyday performance and your everyday health. Most people don't drink enough fluids and there's no exact amount that we should be having. Again, everyone's individualized, but I always say it's a good, a good base. If you've got a, a two liter water bottle and you fill that up in the morning, and by the end of the day, make sure that water bottle is empty, then you've had a pretty good day. That's not including the other fluid you might take in through cups of coffee or whatever else. That's all additional. But I think a, a base two litres is, is a good starting point. And if you're training, when you're sweating, you're going to lose fluids there. So probably, I mean, there's different figures that come out. It's maybe half a litre per half an hour. So for every, for every hour that you train, have an extra litre of water just as a, as a starting point to make sure that you're getting enough fluids through the day. And then when, you, when you're sweating, thinking about alongside that, your electrolytes, making sure you're replacing the sodium, the potassium, a lot of these sports drinks now that they'll have the fluid, but they'll also have these other minerals in there that help replenish the, the, the sweat loss as well as just the, the base fluid that you're losing. Yeah, great stuff there, uh, Gary. We can all uh, use that to uh, uh, take that away with us and uh, build on that. But um, just to finish, just to, uh, to close, uh, I think the, on Twitter, the last, one of your last tweets was um, you, I'm going to quote it. It says, uh, it's okay to play your best, but lose to a better opponent, but losing to an opponent who outwork, uh, but not losing to an opponent who outworks you. I think that's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's it's, it's condensed for a tweet, but yeah, basically, the, the point I'm making there is that 
you know, we were always going to come across in squash opponents that are better than us. You know, whatever level you play, there's going to be people out there that you lose to because they're better players than you. But I just think if if you've played a game and, and you've come off the court and the other guys beat you because he's fitter than you or you've, you've played someone and, and, and she worked harder than you, that to me, you, you can do something about that. We can all train, you know, if, if you're losing games because the other player's a little bit fitter than you, you can get out there, you can train harder, you can do something about that, you can control to some extent, you know, your level of conditioning, your level of physicality. So it's just a, it was, it was a, it was a sort of a tongue-in-cheek one a little bit as well, but I just think yeah. it's getting that awareness in people that, you know, physicality, the great thing about squash, fitness is such an integral part of squash, you can become a better player just by becoming fitter. There's not that many sports where you can say that. If your racket skills stay exactly the same, but you get 20% fitter, you're going to be a better player. And I think if yeah. you have that mindset of, of not allowing anybody to outwork, if someone's fitter than you, if they've worked hard on you in the gym, you can go and do something about that. You can get in that gym the next day uh, and do your own hard work. So obviously I'm biased because it's what I do. It's my job. But I think fitness is is such an integral part of of the sport, and you know, the harder you work, the, the better rewards you get from it. But one uh, one thing that I see a lot, uh, we see it a lot in the pro game, is when when you've got a a player who might not be quite as good as the person they're playing, and they get on court and they know that, and they they sort of just uh, it it almost looks like they've they've given up, right? Uh, sort of after the the first game or first half game. Yeah, I think whatever whatever level you play at, you you almost owe it to your opponents to, to give the absolute physical capacity that you've got. If you lose a game and you're absolutely exhausted at the end, you've worked as hard as you possibly can, then you know you, you can go out with your head held high. But it's if you're looking at someone and you're thinking, "Oh, he's a bit better than me. Is it really worth me?" You know, pushing on here. It's it's just giving your very best effort every single time. If you work as hard as you can, if you push as hard as you can, whether that's squash and work and daily life, you know, you, you've got to put max effort in every time. You're only going to get rewards if you put in that that full capacity every single time that that, that, that you train or you play or you compete. Yeah, you see, I mean, the, the best players in the world, uh, all the world number ones. I mean, they they've all they always had to fight. They fought to get to where they they are. Whether that's uh, you know Paul Cole or or uh, even Mustafa Asal, uh, uh, and on the women's game, I mean, they they've had to battle through losses and they've had to climb uh, and uh, through defeat get to the top. Uh, but I think if you know, unless you give it your best. You're never gonna. You'll never know if you can what what you can achieve. You know. Yeah, and it's that's what I keep saying. The, the thing with squash is great that that working hard and getting fitter, it, it will have a tangible improvement. You know, it's it's almost guaranteed. So if you keep pushing hard, you keep working. Paul Carl is is the, is the sort of fairy tale example, isn't it? That he was a he was a good player. He was he was a, a talented player, but he was top forty, top fifty. He took it upon himself to get into the best physical shape he possibly could. And he's at the top of the game. Joel Makin was the same. You know, he, he was a, a lower-ranked player. He pushed through. And I mean, even, even going back to Gina Kennedy, she she was always very highly ranked as a junior already. Uh, but again, she, she's got into the top 10, probably ahead of the schedule that, that her and her coach were laid out um, through physical hard work. There, there are so many examples out there of players that, that put the work in and reach their potential. I mean, even guys like uh, I've spoken to uh, David Palmer and John White. I mean, they both told me the same story. They were they were on the tour for a num a few years, and they weren't getting anywhere. They were 70, 80 in the world. I think they were in maybe John White was in uh, South Africa on the the Sunshine Tour or something, and he retired. Went back to Australia, 
took a year off, then started training hard, got a few wins, kept working hard, and boom, he was world number one. Yeah, and then people people always want shortcuts. So I get that a lot. What's what's the best exercise I can do, or what's the best supplement I can take? And it's there's no there's no shortcut. You have to work hard. If you you know going back to what you said before about sleeping, eating, drinking, training, they're they're the things that are going to make you a better athlete and a better player. That there are no shortcuts. If anything, when you when you get to an elite level, it's the world we live in, isn't it, Gary? I mean, we've got so many shortcuts out there that we we we've become reliant on them. It's, it's frustrating with, with what I do because, you know, I work with some players and, and they will see something on Instagram and they'll hear that oh, if I do this and I do that and that's going to accelerate my, my progress. And it's not, you know, people, people are trying to sell you a dream. Unfortunately, it's, if, you know, if you're competing in a sport like squash, that there are no shortcuts. You've got to work very, very hard for it. Um, and yeah, when you get to an elite level, then the, the smaller bits come in. And and I've spoken about things like creatine supplementation before, mm-hmm. and other little bits and little bits of recovery things, and cryotherapy. And there's, there's all these other things that are, are the sprinkling on top. But you know, the base of the cake, which is maybe a bad analogy, but the base of the cake is always going to be good nutrition habits, good sleep and recovery, and hard training. That 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 is 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 the, the foundation of, of everything. Yeah, I didn't get to the creatine uh, because I did. Uh, the reason I brought it up earlier before we started was uh, I noticed that you'd, you'd uh, made a few posts on it. And I, I had one, I knew a friend who was doing creatine and he was raving about it. And I, I gave it a try and it might have been the type that I had. It might have been extra powerful uh, supplement or something, but I got really severe stomach cramps uh, and I, yeah. after taking it and sort of it, it scared me away from it. But I, I noticed the the stuff the the creatine that you were uh, talking about on on Twitter there uh, was something. It was just a supplement, and it didn't seem to be. It just seemed to be a a, a basic uh, supplement. Yeah, I mean the the basic supplement is creatine monohydrate. There are other variations of forms that people try and sell, but creatine monohydrate is the foundation. That that's what has been studied, and creatine is the most studied sports supplement ever. I mean, it's been studied for many many years. Yeah. Uh, like anything you know you should always speak to your gp speak to your physician if you're going to change anything within your diet or anything else but creatine has been proven for 99.9 percent of people to be a safe supplement some people do get slight side effects like you said stomach cramps um some issues with with constipation can be one unfortunately but that's a reaction to anything you could have that reaction to any food any any vitamin for most people creatine um is is absorbed well it is a naturally occurring substance in the body. That's the other thing people don't always think about. They think, oh, I'm, I'm putting sank in my body. Is that safe? You've already got creatine in your body. All you're doing is putting more into your body. You know, an average steak has a couple of grams of creatine in it. You know, creatine is, is all over. You know, we, we get it from food and, and in our body. Um, and it's, it's suitable for squash because creatine is about allowing you to put higher intensity, longer efforts in. So all that kind of repeat sprint stuff we we're speaking about with training earlier having more creatine in your body allows you to do that at a higher intensity for a longer period. So it's a very, very specific supplement uh, that works great for squash. Some people react better to it because of their already naturally occurring level. So if you've got quite a low level of creatine in your body naturally, and then you supplement with it, you're going to get better results than those that maybe already have a higher volume of it. So different people have different results um but yeah i mean as a supplement it's there's a lot of research coming out now as well even things we hadn't considered about brain health and, and different things within the body digestion that it might even have a, a beneficial impact for that so i'm not being paid by the the big creatine pharmaceutical companies but creatine <laughs> is is you know i, I do 
always talk about it. I think it's one of those supplements. If you are, you know, when we said already, if you've got that base of a good diet and good training and good sleeping and you want to push on and try something different, creatine is probably the first thing to look at as your, you know, your, your next level. I think it's a, a very, very useful supplement. That's brilliant. Uh, yeah, I'll have to do a little bit more research on it. My, maybe it's a, an age thing too. Uh, maybe there's some sort of uh, something connected with uh, with age in terms of how much or or if what type of dosages you should be taking. But uh, yeah, I'm definitely going to go back and re uh, revisit uh, the creatine after having read that stuff. But Gary, uh, it's been really great catching up uh, with you. Anything else? Did we miss out on on anything? Uh, you've got the squash training app. I know uh, Jethro and I talked about that and you mentioned it a little bit there. Anything else we uh, we may have left out? Yeah. So the, the, the squash skills is obviously one side of, of my work and we've been working very hard with that recently um, about the app development and, and that's all going to be transferred over to that. It's going to be launching hopefully within the next couple of weeks. I know Jethro you had on as a guest recently, he, he would have spoken a lot about that. Um, but outside of that, yeah, I'm still still working with coming into to the season now, working with different players, trying to get everybody ready for the new season. So August is always... Are you working with? Are you still, still with uh, Mezen? Uh... Yeah, I'm, I'm not working with any of the Egyptian players at the moment. Um, the player I'm working probably most closely with uh, is I was doing some work with the Portuguese Squash Federation. So I work okay. a lot with their, their male number one, Rui Suarez. has been doing a lot of work with him over yeah, the yeah. summer. Uh, a couple of the other sort of younger players coming through as well. So it'd be good to see how, how they get on this year. Um, but yeah, it's just, as I say, this time of season, certainly from a physical perspective, this is when everybody's kind of getting ready, getting geared up, ready for the, the season to start. So it's, uh, yeah, it's a great time of year to, to be doing what I do. That's great. Well, Gary, I really appreciate your time. And uh, like I said, uh, every hundred episodes, uh, maybe even uh, uh, at least once a year before the, the season begins, let's do it again. Definitely look forward to it. Always good to chat, Jerry. And I think the, the podcast is great. I'm certainly a, a big fan of it. Got some great guests on here and always really, yeah. involved. Namely you. Thanks, Gary. <laughs> Thank you. Absolute legend. Many thanks to Gary. Some really insightful stuff there to take home with us, uh, depending on what aspect of the game you, you want to focus on in terms of your strength and conditioning. And some really interesting stuff there on what he and Gina put together. The nutrition side of it, uh, I had about seven slices of pizza over the weekend, and I feel great. So I'm not sure uh, if I'm ever going to uh, get into the nutrition uh, aspect of it as long as I stay fit and healthy. But there's def I'm definitely uh, the one who needs to learn a bit more here. Uh, i got to do my reading. i got to take it seriously. 
mostly maybe, but uh, anyhow, a lot there as well in terms of uh, the, the nutrition side of things. Many thanks again uh, to Gary, and I hope to have him back, like he said, perhaps mid-season with another timely uh, uh, session with him to get to get us through to the end of the season. I'm sure uh, that would be something that we could all uh, benefit from. Now on the podcast, we have a very big week already done and dusted a sean che of the rally report and we had a tremendous chat about several things podcasting and squash being uh, one of them growing the game another one uh we talked about uh, the psa season last uh, last season and this season as well uh, he's a really smart kid I shouldn't say kid. He's a young man. Uh, uh, but, uh, yeah, really great chat with him about uh, podcasting, about the squash uh, season upcoming, and all sorts of other great topics. And we just let it go. Uh, it was a free-flowing conversation. I know you're going to enjoy that. Also, uh, this week, uh, two big names uh, out of the PSA Tour with any luck. I don't want to uh, drop the names yet because that's usually uh, – a bit of bad could be a bit of bad karma but with any luck uh, a couple of big names coming on this week so we've got several really uh, interesting uh, and uh, ep- really interesting episodes i know you're going to enjoy uh, definitely though uh, stay tuned for the sean trey uh, episode uh, he's got a podcast called the rally report check it out he just uh, dropped um i think it was amanda Sobe his 31st episode of the year okay so that's sort of uh, that's beyond what i was uh, putting together in my prime so uh, take a look at his podcast as well and uh, uh, really uh, stay tuned for for the uh, conversation that we had it was quite interesting and i know you'll enjoy that but again thanks to gary nisbet uh, for coming on today and thank you i hope all of you are enjoying the the last few weeks of summer uh, i just went for a run actually out here in the uae 40 degrees outside i forgot my shorts uh, i was going to do that or do a session in the gym forgot my shorts and i thought i'd punish myself maybe take a page out of gary's book and uh, work on that toughness groove i ran it was about yeah 39 40 degrees uh, celsius out there and uh yeah i feel much better for it now but crossing the finish line there at about 5k it was painful but i feel great now i hope you guys are doing the same ramping up for the squash season uh everyone thanks for listening take good care and we'll be talking to you very soon goodbye now